So I get to introduce Bob Muncy, and I won't take too much more of his time. I'll try to keep this to about a minute. Bob is one of the local pastors that I am very impressed with because he has a kingdom mentality, not a congregational mentality. And what I mean by that is a lot of pastors look at other churches as the competition. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) A lot of pastors look at other churches as the competition. And Bob looks at the other churches as his partners. And he looks at the other pastors not as someone to be envious of, but as someone to support and befriend. And the evidence is all over his life. And some of the fruit of that is the outrageous caliber of, of Christian that is happy to come up to Greenwood from all over the world. I don't know if you know this, but if you check out their conferences that they host, they have some of the top uh, Christian ministry leaders from the planet And I think part of that is because of the favor God has given Bob Muncy because he's not territorial and driven by his own ego or his need to have people like him. He's driven by a love for people and a love for the church and a love uh, for the gospel to go forward. So would you please extend a standard gateway welcome to Bob Muncy. Thank you. Thank you. Um, In practice of the fact that next week time goes back, right? It falls back next week, so we're all going to remember that. So this morning we're going to practice, and from this point on, time is falling back one hour. (laughs) Only kidding. A couple of you were like, oh, good grief. Uh, What's he doing? No, it is good to be with you, and and I, I have totally... Uh, over these last years, as, as Tim and I have gotten to know each other and spent some time with each other, I totally have enjoyed that great relationship blooming. And then we get to see different ones of you at different times as you come through the house, and some of the people from the house have been over here, and um, it's just good. It's just good. I, Tim always challenges me when I'm with him about what I'm thinking about. I don't know that I've ever had what I would consider a casual conversation. (laughs) I leave going, that just twisted me a little bit. I'm going to have to spend some time unpacking that. Um, I want to, just a couple things on my heart to share with you this morning. But I want to start with a couple questions just so I know where where we're at and whether I even need to say anything or not. How many have discovered that living in community is messy? It's inconvenient. Um, Not everybody that we get to live in community with, do we... I mean, I'm trying to think of a religious way of saying this, but... Um, not everybody that we live in community with do we actually like. And so this, this concept of community is, it, it's a challenge, and yet what, what I see happening right now, what I believe, and, and it didn't start just yesterday, it's been, it's been growing. So many times when God starts to unfold something into humanity, there is this place where 
where heaven releases a revelation. Now, when I'm using the term revelation, I'm not talking about something that's, that's extra scriptural from the standpoint like it carries more weight than scripture. So when you hear me use the term revelation, don't ever hear that in that. Scripture is always our underpinning for everything. But there's revelation that heaven releases that is built upon the authority of Scripture, even though it, it doesn't express itself in uh, chapter and verse. So God, has, God has been unfolding this next revelation, I believe, and I, and I think this isn't my idea. There's just tons and tons and tons of people across the planet, actually, that are saying this. But we, we are in, I mean, this is, this is the celebration really 500 years since the Protestant Reformation. We are in the Second Great Reformation. And it's happening everywhere. And it's shaking everybody. And none of us are immune from it because God's heart is to express the Father in deeper levels of love than the church has ever known, ever given him credit for, and ever allowed him to express. And so he's, this, in this reformation, it, it, it um, well, let me just back up. It's a good thing I didn't give you notes to put up on PowerPoint, because we, we've only at this 30 seconds, I've already left my notes. So just bear with me, I might come back. When the Protestant Reformation was released, oftentimes in in church circles, what we talk about are the Luthers and and all the other ones that were were the, the religious leaders of that Reformation. Except the Protestant Reformation just didn't move a group of people outside of the Catholic Church and set them in another group. And then that group created a ton of other groups. That was a piece of what came out of the Protestant Reformation. But out of the Protestant Reformation rose a whole cultural and societal change where for the first time the value of people was elevated like it had never been elevated before. The potential that was in each person was elevated like it had never been elevated before. So what we watched happen was as the Protestant Reformation started to move across Europe, it transformed Europe and several things happened. Europe stepped into and and was brought or yeah, stepped into the whole industrial revolution, the whole bedrock of how governments were set up shifted where no longer was it acceptable to have a feudal system, but now it started to move towards a democratic system where a person was actually entitled to own land. Now, for us, that, that's, like, that's like super hard to comprehend. That's as, probably as hard to comprehend as what it was like to be a Jew when Jesus showed up and he unwound everything. I mean, we can all get ticked off at the Pharisees. I'm telling you, I can't imagine what it would have been like to have given my whole life to being a Pharisee. My heart was in it. My studies were in it. My life was in it. My dress was in it. My family was Everything about me was Pharisee. And I had been told, and my previous generations had been told that to be at that place was the pinnacle of religious expression. 
And this guy comes walking into town and says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And you went, what the heck? You mean all that time I've been putting in a temple? You're the way? You're the son? You're Messiah? But when Messiah comes, won't Messiah actually solidify who I am as a Pharisee? Isn't being a Pharisee done in expectation that when Messiah shows up, he goes, good job. Now we're going to take it up a level. And yet Messiah steps in and goes, good job, but I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I can't even fathom what it would be like to come home after running into Jesus for the first time and hearing what he was saying. You come home and you look at your wife and you go, if that guy is right, everything is changing. Everything I knew as a Jew is changing. And then the next question comes, well, then what does life look like if everything changes? And so I think many of us are in this place, in this reformation that's happening. We're assembling on a weekly basis here in the House of Praise and Thousands and thousands and thousands of churches across the globe today, believers are assembling. And we have some expression of worship. We have some expression. Maybe it's in liturgy. Maybe it's services like this. But we are all assembling. with, And we're doing it for what reason? Why do we do it? Well, because that's how I know I'm a Christian. If I show up at church every week, I mean, if I don't go to church, I'm not a Christian, right? And then some people would say, absolutely. But is that, why do we come together? And and that's that's really what I want us to to look at a little bit today, because I feel like in this Reformation, there's there's a ton of changes that are happening. Some of them are structural. Most of them are relational. Even what you guys have just been walking through acknowledging that the way we have looked at women has just been wrong. And for the ladies, they go, for the most part, hallelujah, finally somebody's paying attention. And for the men, some of us go, if they're right, everything changes. Well, what's life going to look like? when they are over here with us. Because we, we had defined how the they and us works. And now God is breathing new life into the community of believers and saying, in the life of community, it is not they and them, it's only us. And our goal is to figure out in this messiness of community, what does us look like? How does us function? How do usins talk to each other? How do we live with each other? How do we encourage one another? How do we celebrate each other? 
And I don't know about you guys, but that's just plain messy. How, how many people are married in this room? All right, you already know how messy just community of two is. And it didn't take you long to get that revelation. In, in, the, um, uh, in early Jewish society, when a, when a man and woman were married, of course, the man was given a year off. So he was relieved from military duty. He was relieved from any, anything because he just had a whole year just to concentrate on his bride. You know, in Western culture, I mean, some couples I've married, I don't even think they made it 24 hours before they just went back to normal. Maybe if we're really lovey-dovey, we take a week off. But there's something to be said for that concept of being able to have extended time as husband and wife just to focus on that. That's a side. That doesn't really have anything to do with anything. It just crossed my brain, so out it came. Um, I'm going to give you a quote, and then we're going to look at a couple things, and, and, and we'll just see how this all goes. This is a gentleman. I've, I've been reading some of his stuff. I really, really like him. I, if you uh, um, come across him, I would recommend his uh, books. But it's Dr. Kurt Thompson. He's an MD, but he writes. Uh, he's an MD, but he specializes more in psychology. But he writes this, and I've just found this quote to be amazing. He says, you cannot know God if you do not experience being known by him. The degree to which you know God is directly reflected in your experience of being known by him. And the degree that you are known by him will be reflected in the way in which you are known by other people. In other words, your relationship with God is a direct reflection of the depth of your relationship with others. I'm an introvert, which means I have little capacity for others. And yet what I discover in life, the the more I come into relationship with others, the deeper my relationship with God becomes. Because the way that this thing has been set up, we, we've, over the years, maybe it's a disservice. I, I just think it's just the way we, we picked up on it and kept phrasing it. And in the church, we, have a, we, we will say things over and over again, even if they're wrong. Um, but I think there's this place where in the beginning, when we present salvation, we, salvation is always presented from a you perspective. You need to be saved. You need to repent. You need to receive Christ into your life. So when we present salvation, the focus is on the individual. And in Western culture, especially in the United States, we like that because we're individuals. Yeah. When in fact, salvation is, even though it's going to happen to me individually, the goal of salvation isn't an individual experience. The goal of salvation is to bring me into the community of believers. 
Salvation is coming in the door. Yes, it's Christ coming into my heart, but it's me coming into the door of the community of the saints. And from that point on, everything that's going to start taking place in my life, it happens in the community of the saints. And God has strategically placed things, some things I cannot get. No matter how much I pray, no matter how much I fast, no matter how much I cry out, no matter how much I kick and scream, I can do whatever I want to do. There's some things in my life I can't realize and experience outside of having you in my life. You bring it with you when you come into my life, and I can't get it without you. God will not ever lay out the whole package to any one of us individually. He always lays it out in the community of believers. I'm not safe by myself. Probably none of you would ever think this of me, but I don't have really good ideas when I'm by myself. I can be downright dangerous when I'm by myself. Every now and then I need somebody. My wife fills that role quite a bit, but I have other people that fill it too. I need those other people to look at me and go, after I give my great, you know, whatever idea I've got, after I lay it all out, I I need those people around me to just look at me and go, seriously? Oh, yeah, yeah, because if I do this, then this will happen, and this is going to unfold, and I can lay the whole thing out, and I need you to look at me and go, no, it doesn't work that way, Bob. Not only that, brother, I love you, but that's like one of the dumbest ideas I've heard in a long time. And after I pick myself back up off the floor, I realize that was a dumb idea. Now, the thing is, we, we, we can get to the place where I, I choose not to dream because in the few times that I've tried to express my dreams, they were not well received. And I just challenge all of us today, brush that off, dream big, talk about your dreams, talk about them a lot. Dreams don't happen overnight. But the initial release of that dream it needs, it needs to be spoken. And in community, that's where it gets messy at times. Dreamers get misunderstood. Sometimes we're, we're accused of being like renegades and so forth. And they say, no, I, it's just that I have all this stuff inside. And it needs to come out. And in community, this is the safest place for it to come out. When I isolate myself because I think that my dreams are too wacky for anybody else to hear, when I isolate myself, I actually place myself in a position of deception. When I live in community, I'm in a place where I'm actually safe for the fullness of revelation to rise up in my heart, fullness of my potential to rise up. It's safe. It's safe. I'm not sure how many of you, this may be your experience, but I like to have an environment where the first time you're sitting there and you feel like, I actually think I have a word from God. I think I have like a prophetic word. And you feel free enough to go for it. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's not from God? 
Well, I just had a conversation five minutes with you before that. It wasn't from God. We're still friends. Yeah. Get used to just tagging it and going, don't always make it, well, thus saith God. I mean, give yourself a break. Maybe God isn't saying it, but maybe you are sensing it. So speak it out. Share it. Brother, I just feel, sister, I just, when I see you, I just sense this or I see that or I just have this rises up in my heart when I'm with you. Just share it that way. And then let the hearer decide, yeah, that really fits. Or maybe right now that isn't fitting. So this idea that, that the relationship that I have with God is going to be a direct reflection of the depth of the relationship I have with others. If I can't, you know, I think this guy named Jesus said this, but I'm going to paraphrase. If I, if I can't learn to love you, I really can't stand back and say I'm loving God. Because I can't, I can't claim to love something that, in a sense, I can't see. That's a real safe thing to say I love. But, I, but I, in saying that I love God, looking at you, being with you, I really can't love you. I'm really not loving God. It's just not really happening. And I have to figure that out. And I I think I have to be open enough and honest enough and unafraid enough. I love that song, a couple of the songs that we were singing today about, you you know, God, you didn't have to come, but you come. And the one that we sang before that, like, you came. God, you just came. And I want to be at this place where I'm, I'm open enough and free enough in the company, in the community of believers where I can go, I don't know how to love. My, my life experience never gave me the tools that I needed to actually know how to love. I don't know what love looks like. Love in my family looked like this, or it looked like that, or it didn't look like anything. We didn't even, that word didn't even get expressed in the family I grew up with. And now I come into this community of people that are following God, that are loving God, that are being loved by him, and where love starts to be something that is actually manifest in the community. But I'm standing here going, I don't even know what to do with this. And maybe our first reaction is, I'm running away. Probably none of you watch movies like this, but in the movie The Holy Grail by... Monty Python, (laughs) deeply spiritual movie. There's a high point in that movie when the rabbit attacks them and they're all going, run away, run away, run away. Sometimes we feel like that when we come into the community. Because I don't know, if you don't know how to love, I don't know that there's much scarier than somebody that does. That's why people had a hard time with Jesus. It's like, Wait a minute, he just showed up and he just loved. And when he did, people that weren't used to that, they didn't know what to do with that. Ultimately, they came up with this great plan, let's just kill him. More than once, I'm going, did you guys really think that through? Because I'm sure after the resurrection, there was a huddle somewhere where somebody went, that was your idea. Everybody, you know, and then it was passed. No, it wasn't mine. I mean, I'm sure it was his now. And then whoever just left the room, it was his idea. 
It's just like, I don't think they thought that through. But we don't know what to do with love when love really comes. And yet what the Father is doing in this Reformation, this place that we are right now in the church universal, is God manifesting his love in a new and a profound way that I'm telling you, in 10 years from now, we're all going to look at each other and we're going to be amazed at who we are and what we look like and quite possibly how we think. Because God is unrelenting in his love. And his love does not accept defeat. And he comes and he finds us wherever we are, in whatever state we're in. Guys, you can't be so broken that he can't find you. And that he's attracted to your brokenness. There's this crazy concept that God can't be around sin. Oh, sin. Oh, I got to run away. Really? Have you thought that one through? If God can't be around sin, how in the world did Jesus get here? And what was he doing when he arrived? And what was his purpose in the cross? What was the celebration of the resurrection? What was the power that came in the ascension? If God is so bothered by sin that he can't be around it and he has to run away from it and he can't have any exposure to it and, oh my goodness, I, I, I don't think I can pray because I have just so messed up. I, I don't think God would hear my prayers. Seriously? Seriously. Think that one through. What you can't see is he's standing right next to you before you ever do pray. He's never lost sight of you. He's not afraid of your sin. He's attracted to it from the standpoint, not that, you know, here again, hear me. I'm not saying that God just, you know, sin's cool with him. No, I didn't say it was cool. It's so uncool with him that he dealt with it. He's not afraid of it. But when we get this crazy idea that somehow God won't hear my prayers because of my sin, when in actuality, he's the only one that can help me in the situation I'm in. He's not leaving me. He's coming near me. Even in the example of the prodigal son, the father wasn't taken back when the son came walking back up the lane. You know, he didn't show back, you know, when the son came walking down the lane, the father didn't run up to him and go, oh, uh, okay, now that you're back, that's good. We're really glad that you're back. But what I want you to do, I think, I think you need a year of mentorship just to make sure you're okay. And then we can't let you into the main house yet. But what I do have, we have the outhouse. And you can stay in the outhouse for a year. We just, we, we love you. We're just concerned for you. And we don't want to see you fall again. I know in the church we wouldn't do that. But the father just runs over to him. 
totally changes the situation and brings him straight in and makes available to him everything. When, uh, when I was a young believer, uh, I don't know, I hadn't been saved, but about five years, I guess, something like that. I had this brilliant idea. As I told you, my ideas aren't always that good. So I had this brilliant idea. Maybe the, some of the stuff that I did before I became a believer, I could probably do that in moderation, and that would be okay. And it wasn't okay, and I really messed up. And at that point, I was in that mindset that I've messed up, God's mad at me, and probably at this point, I'm, I'm 99.9% sure I have grieved the Holy Spirit and I'm going to hell. Now, I really believed that. I wasn't being flippant about it. I, in the circle I was brought into as a, in my early years, that was a pretty standard line. And I believed it. And so for five years, four years, I saw no way back because you can't get back to something that God has closed off. That's how I saw it. And Linda and I were first together, and, and we were, this was um, 70, 75, 74. Okay, four. I thought it was like that, but it's like that. Okay, 74. We had been, well, I, I shouldn't include her. Myself and some others had been on a, on a weekend-long binge, and I had really not been coherent for several days. And I'm, I'm, we're all out in this woods, and it's like a fall day, and I'm sitting by a tree, and I'm gone. I mean, I'm just, everything we had done was, I was gone. And in the middle of that, out of nowhere, this voice, whether it was audible or not, I to this day can't tell you. But this voice said, Bob, you know I still love you. And that wrecked me. I was already wrecked. But I was totally straight. And I jumped up and I looked around. I'm like, what in the world? And the other people that were around with me, they're like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. They're like, where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just out of here. And I left and I came up to the house. I was completely straight. And it took me days to process that. Because, see, I had been taught and I honestly believed and I had faith in that that voice I just heard, I could never hear. Because God doesn't talk to sinners. And I had turned my back on him. And I had turned my back on the Holy Spirit. And there's no way out when you do that. But now I was stuck. So what was the voice? Well, maybe it was a demon. Really? I don't think... If a demon was going to talk to me, that's what he would have said. And I actually think demons have been talking to me for the last four years. And I've been following them pretty steady. 
But now there's this voice. And it took me weeks to, to kind of like try to come to grips with that. And it was about a month after that. It didn't, you know, it didn't create this immediate, oh my goodness, I got to fall on my knees and, and give my life back to Christ. It didn't, it didn't create that in me. But I thought a lot about it. And about a month after that, Linda and I, our, our relationship was in the tank. It's kind of hard to be in love with a guy that's never consciously there. Um, and so she, I didn't know it. And if she told me, I probably couldn't have remembered it anyway. But you know, she was prepared to leave. And on a Saturday, I looked at her and said, um, what do you think about going to church tomorrow? She kind of looked at me and laughed. She says, yeah, whatever. We've done everything else. We might as well do that too. And so we went to this little Methodist church in Lincoln that Sunday. And God began to put my life back together. Because what I discovered, he loves me. He loves me. And I've dropped the ball quite a few times since then. He loves me. And his love is never an excuse to the lifestyle that I might have adopted. Don't, don't hear that. It's just that his love is the only way for me to ever be something different than what I am right now. I can't change without it. It's his love. Okay. Well, I'm glad I went to so much trouble to write all these notes. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. I appreciate, um, I appreciate what God is doing here in this place. And I, I sense during worship that um, just, just feel like God is just saying over all you guys, well done, well done. You, you've taken some hard steps. The Lord says, well done. You've been willing to embrace some things that weren't easy to embrace, and the Lord says, well done. You've been willing to open your hearts in ways that tradition didn't always make a way, and the Lord is saying, well done. Well done. He's proud of you guys. He's delighted with you. There's more in store. In Sussex County English, you ain't seen nothing yet. Keep going. Keep going. Keep loving. Keep growing. Don't be afraid of the uncertainties. He's got you, and he always comes. He always comes. He always comes. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He just comes. You have a call. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. Some of it you're fulfilling. Some of it you're just seeing, and some of it you haven't even seen yet. Just keep going. Keep going. 
Thank you. Uh, I know it, I've already run over, but I, we do have that extra hour I can play with. Um, does, any, does anybody having trouble with their left shoulder, shoulder blade, shoulder area? This is time to check. Oh, th- and this is, well, this is your left. So, any, having any problem? Anybody? Have one there? Anyone else? Yeah, just, just stand. If that's you, just stand up. Of course, the, the other thing, um, at least at our church, what, what we are prone to say is, I just said left shoulder blade. That's what I was sensing. If you're having trouble with your right shoulder blade, I generally say anything within a four-foot radius, just grab it, because we're all practicing this, and we don't always get words and knowledge right. So I'm pretty much just, so if you need, we're going to pray in particular left shoulder blades, but if you need healing for anything, anything, we're going to go for that. So Father, right now I just uh, release your healing. Jesus, I thank you that you took stripes upon your body that ours could be healed. It would have been enough if you had shed your blood. That that would have been enough. But you turned your back to the whip so that not only did you take care of our spirit and our soul, you took care of our body as well. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And Lord, I just right now, the fullness of your uh, work that you've accomplished, your presence come into these left shoulder areas. Uh, each of you, just I know you're standing in, so it's going to be harder for you to tell, but just, just move it. Begin to just stretch it out. Sometimes things happen as we start moving it, then the healing, sometimes it happens like that, sometimes it happens over time. Just, just yeah, just exercise it, see what it's doing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're the healer. Thank you. Anything different? It's always good to check it. You know, we, again, we like to, you, you can be seated if you want, but uh, keep checking it. Because I, I, I've had people say, well, you know, I said, well, is there any difference? And they're like, well, maybe a little bit. Okay, well, what's a little bit? Is that 10% better? 20% better? What, what's a little bit? Well, meh, yeah, maybe it's 20% better. Okay. Now, we've been trained to think, well, it's all got to be going right now, right? We're all shooting for 100. I'm praying for 100, so don't mishear that. I'm praying for 100. But if you leave and it's 20% better, is that like 20% you didn't come in with? Is that better? Somewhat? And then you just keep going for it. I, I had a, years ago, we had a young lady in the church that was blind in one eye, and she um, walked up. I had, I had given a word of knowledge. Some people had come up for stomach issues. She walks up, and she's blind in her right eye. And 
So, you know, I'm thinking everybody's looking at me like you guys are looking at me, and so there's a certain amount of pressure when everybody's looking at you. So I thought, I'll go to this cute little girl, and I'll start with her first, because the others were adults. So I go over to her, and I said, well, honey, what, you know, what, what do you need Jesus to do? She goes, I'm blind in my right eye, and I want to see. And I'm thinking, all righty. So then I moved down to the <laughs> other end of the line, and I started with stomach issues. I'm figuring, that's about all I got faith for. I mean... So, and one person, you know, there was three people, I prayed for them, and that all went well, but then there's still this little girl, and she's still standing there. And I said, now, what, again, what is it that, that you need? And she goes, I'm blind in my right eye, and I want to see. And I'm like, it didn't change. Um, so I'm like, uh, okay, and as I said, now everybody's looking at me. Now, I know I'm not the one, you know, so we're not going to go down that road, but still, you feel a level of pressure. You're praying for somebody for healing. So I said, uh, okay, I, I, I'll pray for you. And as I was getting ready to pray, Holy Spirit, I felt pretty confident, said, put saliva on your fingers and put it on her eye. And I went, no way. <laughs> no way. That's a Bible story. This boy ain't doing that. This is, Jesus, they didn't sue back in your day. If our church insurance company finds out we're spitting in people's eyes, you know what? Our policy is going to go through the roof. And I'm like, no way. And, but then I thought, this is my way out. Because she's going to go, no way. And, I, and then I can just go, okay, well, bless you, honey. Because I don't. I've never prayed for anybody that remotely was blind and could see. So I said, well, you know, you don't, I don't have to do this. And if, if you don't want me to, it's okay. And I kind of went through a whole, gave her like tons of ways out for me. And I said, but I, I'm thinking that I should put saliva, you know, that's like out of my mouth, um, on your eye before I pray for you. And she goes, Okay. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, man, now what am I going to do? I'm going to have to really do this. So I did. And I, I put it on her eye, and I prayed. I was trying to make it sound spiritual. On the inside of me, it was probably the most desperate prayer I've ever prayed. But I said, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, heal this blindness go in Jesus' name, something to that effect. And I stepped back, and I said, uh, okay, because I had her, I had her close her left eye and you know, or cover it, and so she could say, "So what do you, what do you see?" And she just, um, and she was looking kind of at the far end of the room. She says, "I can see light, and I can see light, but across the center there's a black band." And I went, "So nothing's really changed." She looks at me. She says, "No." I said I was blind in my right eye. And she's probably thinking, dear Jesus, this man needs prayer himself. He doesn't understand English. And I said, so something changed. And she goes, I can see light and I can see light. And there's a black strip across the middle. I'm like, okay, let's pray again. But now for me, faith rose up. And I didn't spit in her eye again. That was a one time, never done that since. But faith rose up. I said, okay, let's pray again. So I prayed again and had her do the same thing. And when she looked this time, she goes, 
my eyes clear. I can see. And at that time, we had a bunch of flags on the walls of our church. And I started asking her different things. And she, was, she could see crystal clear. She left totally healed, totally seeing. And she said, the mo- she said the most amazing thing to me when she left, because she doesn't attend her church. She was visiting with her aunt. So I've never seen the girl again. And, but as she's leaving, I said, well, I'm so glad that, that you were here today and so, so excited about what happened. And she was, so tomorrow in school, does this mean I don't have to wear glasses and worry about running into walls when I go around corners? I said, that's exactly what it means. It means you're healed. And she left. So I encourage us, and I'll leave this with you, and I promise I am going to step, walk away. I encourage us, be bold. Because you just don't know. I've prayed for people, and they've not been healed at all. I've prayed for a ton of people that have been, been healed. And you know what? I can spend all day obsessing over the ones that weren't, or I can celebrate the ones that are. Celebrate the ones that are. Bless you guys. It's been great being with you. Oh, do a benediction? Well, let's stand. Father, I thank you for this company of world changers. I thank you for this company of dreamers, of people that are carrying expectations in their heart, desires in their heart, both in the individual and in the corporate, in the community. Lord, I thank you for what you're birthing here and have birthed here. I thank you, God, for the faithfulness of this community, faithfulness to one another and faithfulness to you. Lord, I leave your blessing upon this congregation. Prosper their hands. Bring them into deeper levels of wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Meet every need that they have. Bring forth abundance in this house so that there's seed for them to sow everywhere that they go. Thank you, God. Thank you for this company of believers. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.